Thank you, guys. Dan is going to come and uh, speak to us in a few moments, but I just wanted to uh, deliver some personal thoughts uh, before he does. Um, it was great to hear that Tim had been in the church 50 years. That's just astonishing. Yeah, and he looks about 25, um, but he always has. I, always th- I think he's got a sort of Peter Pan gene. Um, I've been here 19, 18, 19 years. Sue and I, Sue Green and I were talking, reflecting on that this morning coming in. Sue and I, I think, joined the church in the same year, uh, 1997. Um, And in 1996, as part of my journey towards uh, faith, I was in America um, working, and I went into a Bible store in Atlanta, Georgia, and wanted to get a Bible. I'd never had a Bible of my own before. And I went into this shop and I said, I'd like to buy a Bible. And the woman in very deep south accent, which I can't imitate, uh, said, sure. Um, What sort? And I thought, what sort? (laughs) Bible's a Bible, isn't it? And she took me to a shelf on which there were probably, I don't know, a couple of thousand Bibles. Um, did I want the Lord's Word in red or in black? Did I want it in this script or that script? Which translation did I want? And the only thing I could remember was that on the Sundays I'd been at church, Stephen had mentioned a couple of times that he was teaching and uh, reading Scripture from the NIV. So I just said, um, an NIV, please. And I, in the process of my visit to the shop, I bought my Bible. And um, it's been my companion ever since. Um, I've got quite a few others since, but this is the one I call my Bible because it was the one that I bought as I started out on this journey. And over the years, I brought it to church most Sundays. I can't, I can't in truth say every Sunday. Some Sundays, for whatever reason, it hasn't been with me. But I, I notice when it's not. And we're going to begin a new series on the first letter of Corinthians this week. Uh, how long are we going to... Be on the book for, do you think? A while. A while. <laughs> Maybe a couple of years like Matthew. No. Um, a while. The important thing I want to emphasize is over the years when I've come, I've usually brought my Bible, nine times out of ten bring my Bible, and I also bring a pen, and I write in my Bible. So when the passages are being referenced and spoken about, I will turn to it, and I will scribble, scribble in my Bible as God speaks to me each morning, each Sunday. And what I found is that not only do I remember the words of my Sunday morning teaching more clearly when I write things down, but the great joy is you come back to them again and again and again over the years. And over the 20 years or near 20 years that I've been coming, it's a delight for me when we come to a sermon from a different trajectory, a different pathway approaches a passage in Scripture And I come across things that matter to me. They didn't matter then. They matter now. They still matter. And I come to those passages again, and I see the notes that I wrote, the comments I made, how I felt God was speaking to me that Sunday morning. And I I, I can revisit all that thinking. Can I encourage you over the next few weeks to bring a Bible with you? If you haven't got one, go and get one. It's great fun. Go and get one and bring it. And write in it. When I first had it, when I first got this, I thought it was a bit, I was too precious about it. I didn't write, on it, write in it for a few months because it was too special. And then I thought, no, this is, this is God's word for me. I need, to, I need to write down in it the things that matter.
And so it's full of jottings and scribbles. And I pray that those jottings and scribbles in your Bibles will become God's word to you over the weeks and months ahead. Another thing about this new series, um, it's a time for exploring in great depth, one of them, a really significant letter of Paul's writing to a church that had many issues. All churches have issues. No church is perfect. Anyone who thinks their church is perfect isn't looking. We're not perfect. We're a long way short. But we try our very best. And Paul was writing to a church that was trying its best and sometimes getting it wrong. But it's a chance for us as a church to explore that on a Sunday morning. It's also a chance in the week to meet with your fellow travelers through life and talk about it. Because sometimes... Passages in Scripture aren't clear. They're not, they're not always easy to understand. And we've each got different perspectives on things. And our individual perspectives matter. This isn't, we're not a church that says the person who stands here is the only person that's got it right and no other point of view matters. Our view matters. Your faith, your understanding, your, your comments, your perspective, your lives, they matter. And coming together in life groups and sharing those things in conversation is a really good thing to do. So if you're not in a life group, if you're not in one of our small midweek groups and you'd like to be, it's a really good time to say, can I join one? We would welcome you with open arms into those discussion groups. So if you'd like to join a group, speak to Dan, speak to Steve, speak to me. Um, and we will see what we can arrange immediately so that you can start. And those groups usually meet on Tuesdays, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays. Those are the key days we meet. Sometimes in the day, often in the evening. And they meet all across town. Enough. Dan's going to come and speak to us, but let's pray for him first and for ourselves. Lord, we come Sunday by Sunday to praise you, to worship you, and to learn to learn from your life and your word. Learn from your spirit. I pray that the preparation that Dan has put in, Lord, bear fruit in him, in his life, and in ours as we listen to his thoughts and reflections upon this letter. In Jesus' name, I pray. Good morning, everyone. I think I've been here 12 years, just as we're announcing that information. (laughs) Thereabouts. Um, Is this still on? Nope. Okay. Um, Thank you, Martin, for introducing it in that way. Um, That's fantastic. I've been reading my Bible since um, I was a child. And uh, uh, it's incredible that that the same um, collection of books can still speak to me today and I'm still finding new truths and new bits of information and new things I've never seen before um, and it's exciting to me how much you can, you can get out of it and how much um, things change over the years and you see new things and as you change and grow you, you recognise new areas that you've never seen before and um, one of uh, Steve and my hopes through this new series that, is that we'll get you really excited about reading um, your Bibles 
that you will, it will come alive to you, that will give you enough information and enough of a framework that as you read the text, um, it won't seem distant or odd, but actually you'll be able to understand it and it will come alive to you. Um, so I would just encourage the same. Um, please bring a Bible or um, an iPad. I, I, I can't bring myself to write in my Bible. I'm, I'm too anal about that. But you can make notes on the iPad, so that's the way that I approach it. Um, uh, bring a, a pen and paper. And then as you meet in the life groups through the week, you'll have those notes to talk and discuss um, the things that we've, we've mentioned to you on a Sunday morning. Fantastic. So we are launching this new series. We've called it A Love Affair with Problems. And it's a look at 1 Corinthians, which is found in the back third of your Bible. You have your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You have the book of Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. And it's called 1 Corinthians because we have a 2 Corinthians, and it makes sense to number them. And they're both written by a chap called Paul. And we know they're written by a chap by called Paul because they start this way. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, rather helpfully, in ancient times, they started the letters with the author rather than putting it at the end. That's because they were rolled up in a scroll. And as you started to unroll, you could immediately see who the letter was from. And in both letters, Paul mentions the second person with him. In 1 Corinthians, if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see it's a chap called Sosthenes. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, it's a chap called Timothy. But we're going to put them to one side for a minute. And I just want to talk to you about Paul. So here's a photo. Um, (coughs) Paul is first introduced to us in the book of Acts, which is a book that's two books to the left of where we are this morning. Um, And Acts tells us that Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. Now, presumably, you will remember the Pharisees from uh, the Gospels. They were the ones that were always getting on at Jesus. They were the ones that were trying to tear him down, stop his ministry. They weren't big fans of his. And believe it or not, their persecution continued after Jesus' death and resurrection. But it was now focused on Jesus' followers and Jesus' believers. And Paul was one such person who, who went after the Christians as a Jewish Pharisee. He systematically hunted down anyone who followed Jesus' way or followed the gospel. That was until he met Jesus for himself. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 9, and it's a fairly dramatic conversion. Paul was travelling along a road uh, on his way to a place called Damascus, and a bright light shone down and uh, blinded him, and he heard a voice coming out of it. And the voice was Jesus. Paul didn't recognise him, so he said, who are you? And he says, it's me, Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And then Jesus sends him on to meet a chap called Ananias who prays for Paul and he receives the Holy Spirit and his sight back. As far as conversions go, it's fairly dramatic. And then Paul was told by Jesus that he was going to be a witness to him throughout the Gentile world, all across the Mediterranean. And he travels from place to place preaching about Jesus and establishing new colonies or churches. And Acts records three of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, They total about nearly 8,000 miles, which he did on foot and by sea. And Paul's message wasn't always received. Some people kicked him out, chased him out. Some people even tried to kill him. But where there were those that would hear the message about Jesus, Paul stayed. And he preached until there was a core of believers that could carry on that message. 
And it was on the second of these missionary journeys that he travelled to Corinth. And when he arrives, he does the same thing he does in every city. He talks to them about Jesus. And some rejected his message, but he was told by God to stay and keep preaching. And he ended up in Corinth for about a year and a half, which is the second longest amount of time that he spent in any place. And then he left and he went to a place called Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he wrote a letter to the believers in Corinth. Now, we don't know what was in that letter, because unfortunately it's missing. Someone obviously put it down somewhere and forgot about it, and it's gone. There's nothing we can do about it now. But we know it exists because he references it in the letter that we have as 1 Corinthians. He talks about how he'd previously written to them. Presumably he wanted to encourage them in their faith. He'd just left them and he wanted to make sure they were doing okay and and just, you know, tell them to carry on in the Lord. But that letter's gone. So our letter to the Corinthians is actually Paul's second letter. All right? So if you're writing in your Bibles, you could cross out one and write two, but it might get confusing. Um, Now, Paul's second letter was written with two reasons in mind. Um, Firstly, he was responding to some queries that they had written to him about. So he was answering some questions, you know, sort of a dear Paul thing. Dear Paul, what do we do about? And he was writing about. We know that because chapter 7 begins with the line, now for the matters you wrote about. All right? And chapters 8, 12 and 16 all introduce new topics with now about. Now about this, now about that. But Paul was also writing this letter in response to some damning reports that he had heard about the church in Corinth. Reports about division and immorality and a lack of church discipline and a tolerance of worldly behaviours. And we've entitled this series A Love Affair with Problems because that's the kind of church that Paul was writing to. And he deals with these problems in a very practical way. All sorts of issues to do with church and Christian life, such as what should our attitude be towards sex and marriage? Should we ever take another believer to court? Should we be uh, speaking in tongues? How should we be practicing the spiritual gifts in church? Is Christianity intellectually acceptable? What's the role of a church minister? You might be wondering that yourself. As well as much larger questions, such as, what happens after we die? Will we have bodies when we're gone? And what does real love look like? And Paul writes concerning these topics and many others, and he tells them what they should be believing and how that should be impacting their behaviour. There's a lot of darkness in Paul's letter to Corinth. My guess is a lot of it won't shock you, because essentially Paul is dealing with human nature. And although the historical and cultural context is different, the behaviours we'll recognise from our own world. And Paul highlights this darkness among them and he tells them how to root it out. It also contains many well-loved passages, passages, passages that you will know and be familiar with, such as chapter 13 where we find his famous description of love, which I'm sure will have been read at at least one wedding that you've been to. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs and so on. on. Fantastic, beautiful, incredible words. 
In chapter 15, he describes the resurrection of Christ and the future hope that we have. And Paul contrasts the darkness in Corinth with the light to be found in Jesus. He calls them return to return to Jesus and stop living as they once did. So after he finished this letter, he made a second visit to Corinth and it was a difficult visit, very difficult visit, a painful visit. He ended up having to leave and write to them again. A letter that was written out of great distress and anguish, a letter that was written with tears and that letter's missing as well. But maybe that's for the best. After that, it seems that the church turned itself around a little bit and he wrote to them for a fourth time which is our second letter to Corinthians in the Bible. And then he visited a third time. So 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is 4 Corinthians, and 1 and 3 Corinthians are missing. Okay? Are you keeping up? Do you see why we said you need to take notes? <laughs> and we're only halfway through verse 1, alright? <laughs> so, the second half of verse 1, Paul mentions our brother Sosthenes. Now, we can't be certain of who Sosthenes is um, or was because we're not given any more information than his name. Um, but there was a chap in Acts 18, which is the chapter of Acts where you can read about the, the birth of the church in Corinth, who was the head of the Corinthian synagogue. And he was called Sosthenes. And he has a bit of a rough time. He ends up being um, beaten by Roman officials as the Jews try to bring um, complaints against Paul. Sosthenes gets caught up in the whole Affair. And it's possible that it's the same guy and that he's now with Paul and Paul mentions him um, as someone that they would recognise in, in, in Corinth. It's also possible that he was Paul's scribe. We know from other letters that Paul had difficulty seeing and most likely used a scribe to write his letters, so Sosthenes could be the chap that's writing it all down. We don't know for sure, but we know that Paul thought it was important to include other people in his ministry. He always had travelling companions with him, like um, Barnabas and John Mark and Luke, who both wrote Gospels. And Timothy, who he mentions in 2 Corinthians, was someone uh, who he treated very much as a spiritual son. And Paul wants to give this sense of familiarity and family. And that's why he includes them at the start of his letter. Okay, let's do verse 2. So after writing who the letter's from... He writes who the letters to. And he says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So he's writing to the church in Corinth. Now I know at this point it's hard not to imagine a large white building with a, a sign out the front saying, Welcome to God's church in Corinth, something like that. But the reality is there were no church buildings. They didn't yet have permission to put up a building. The word that's used for church here is ecclesia, which is a non-religious word. And it's a, it means a group, a gathering of people that are there for a specific purpose. They would have met in public places and homes. In fact, our life groups that Martin mentioned are probably much more similar to how the church in Corinth was. That's my life group. That is three years ago, so some of them have aged since. 
But these are perhaps a better representation. They would pack into homes and they would eat together and they would talk about Jesus and sing hymns together uh, and they were uh, practicing spiritual gifts and sharing communion and fellowship with one another. And they were trying to work out their faith together. This was only 20 years after Jesus' death. They didn't have a, a neatly bound New Testament like we do. So they were influenced by, by people that would come and speak to them. People like Paul, and um, we'll find some others mentioned in a few minutes or two. But they were also influenced by the world around them. And it's a world that we just need to understand a little bit better before we read on. So Corinth was part of the Roman Empire. The city itself was in fact conquered by the Romans. The, the men were killed, the women and children were sold into slavery, and the city was burnt to the ground, and it lay as a wasteland for a hundred years. And it was Julius Caesar, who I'm sure you've heard of, who refounded the city as a Roman colony about 50 years before the birth of Jesus. So by the time we get to Paul's day, the city had a population of around 250,000 free people and 400,000 slaves. And the Roman Empire, as I'm sure you know, was vast. And through clever system of administration um, and, and justice, it was um, a place that had peace and security within it. They held its borders with guards um, and they, they ruled it from inside. However, it was not without its issues. There was corruption and moral decay of people. And people were becoming selfish. There was a, a breakdown in family life. Divorce was becoming common and unwanted children were roaming the streets. There was a permissiveness in Roman society that's not too dissimilar today. I'm sure most of us are familiar with the results of selfish living. We can see it in the world around us. Divorce rates in England and Wales are at 42% currently. Last year there were close to 70,000 children in care in England alone. Not too dissimilar. Corinth is also in Greece. There it is. Ancient Corinth that we're reading about here was destroyed in the 1850s by an earthquake and new Corinth is built just down the road. But the ancient city was typically Greek. And the Greeks prided themselves on being great speakers and orators and philosophers. <coughs> and they lived in a time before Netflix and Sky Sports. Um, so they were entertained by travelling speakers, folk who would turn up in the city with some new idea or philosophy or new doctrine um, and then you and your mates would go and hear them speak and then you could chat about it down the pub later uh, and it's sort of like you know when there's a new TV show on and everyone's seen it and you haven't and you have to avoid the, the spoilers by standing somewhere else no just me okay good but it was all about what was novel what was new if it was new it was good in a celebration of discipline, uh, Richard Foster described superficiality as the curse of our age. But it was true then as well. If it was new, it was good. The mind was developed by new philosophies and the body was developed through sports and games. You've heard of the Olympic Games, presumably. They came out of Greece. Um, well, Corinth was famous for the Isthmian Games. So named after the four-mile-wide strip that you can see just next to Corinth, up there. And the Isthmian Games happened the year before and the year after the Olympics. And they brought in many, many people. So the Greeks worshipped the mind, 
and the body. Those are the important things. Corinth itself was a port next to the Isthmus and it connected the southern and northern parts of Greece, providing a main route through from southern Greece to northern Europe. And because it was dangerous to travel around the south coast of Greece, many people would unload their ships in Corinth and travel across the four-mile strip and reload onto a second ship on the other side. So it became a main trade route as well, from east to west and west to east. And every religion and race and person was represented in Corinth. It was very cosmopolitan. There were at least 12 temples, the most infamous being the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. Now, their worship services are a little bit different to ours. Um, (laughs) They employed um, religious prostitutes. And it's recorded at one time there were a thousand sacred prostitutes serving in the temple. Can you imagine living in a place that was that obsessed with sex? It'd be like living in a society where we're surrounded by it all the time on our TV and advertising and, oh, wait. I think we still, some still worship in the temple of Aphrodite, but we probably just call it the internet now. Not too dissimilar from today. So Corinth is a place where anything goes. There was a Greek verb to Corinthianize, which was to practice sexual immorality and drunkenness and debauchery. And this was the home of the house church of Corinth. This was the society they lived in. They belonged to this church, but they belonged to this city as well, and they were influenced by the city around them. That's the Temple of Aphrodite. David Pawson describes the city as intellectually proud, materially prosperous, and morally corrupt. And I think all of those phrases could be used to describe the world we live in today. And it was the church's responsibility, of course, to save people from this way of life, to introduce them to a new way of living, to introduce them to Jesus. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, describes the church as the only organisation that does not exist for itself but those that live outside of it. It's the church's role to introduce people to a new way of living. And to do that, we need to be right in the middle of it, in the middle of the moral corruption, the selfish living, the sex-obsessed and the greedy. We have to live in the world in order to show a better way of living. The problems begin when we allow the attitudes and thinking, the activities and the behaviour of the world to influence us, to hold a greater influence on us than Jesus. And this is what was happening in Corinth. Let me just pause there for a minute. I want to read to you the first ten verses of this letter. And as I do that, I want you to count how many times Paul mentions Jesus. Martin, you can underline them if you like. (laughs) Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. 
For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ Jesus among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus our Lord Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. How many did you get? Ten. Ten verses, ten times he mentions Jesus. Why does he mention him so much? Paul is writing to a church that has allowed itself to be influenced by the world around it. They were no longer talking about Jesus in their life groups. Instead, they were talking about which new Christian leader they liked best. I like Apollos. He's the best speaker. Well, I like Paul. He was here first. But what about Peter? He's the one who's actually been with Jesus. Instead of singing hymns together, they were arguing with each other and taking each other to court, causing mayhem in the streets. Instead of using spiritual gifts to to build each other up and show love to each other, they were being selfish. And when they met together to share communion, they were being greedy. Eating as much as they could and getting drunk off the communion wine. Sexual immorality was rife. And into all of this darkness, Paul starts his letter by shining the light of Jesus. In verse 3, he says, Grace and peace to you. And we often speak of grace in this church. And I'm sure most of you have seen this acrostic before, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And he wants them to see all that they've received from God, all that's been done for them. In verse 5, he tells them that they've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and knowledge. They know Jesus and they've spoken about him. I love baptisms in this church. And and my favourite bit is not the bit where we, we dunk them in the pool, but the bit where we hear the testimonies. And we hear about God, how God has broken into a life, how God has changed a life. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, we told you about God and he became real to you, confirmed our testimony. In verse 7 he says, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. You have everything that you need in Jesus. There's nothing that you're lacking. And in verse 8 he says, he'll keep you firm to the end. What's the implication here? Remain in him and you'll stay strong. Remain in Jesus. And Paul wants them to see that there is a past, a present and a future benefit to their relationship in God. He says you've received grace, the past. You have every spiritual gift, the present. And if you remain in him, he will keep you strong, the future. And the problem was that those that were called to live in the spirit were living after the flesh. And they were saved. They'd met Jesus, but their lives didn't reflect it. And Paul wants them to get rid of this old way of life and get back to Christ. I just, time's going, but I just want to get a little bit further with you this morning. Otherwise, it'll be more than a while that we're on this series. He continues in verse 11. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's the Greek name for Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So none of you can say that you were baptised in my name. Uh, Yeah, I also baptised the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul reminds them in their greeting that, that, that they have Christ Jesus. And then he begins to reveal his grief to them. The church was no longer unified. It was dividing into to little groups and little cliques. And this is essentially the first denominations that we see in the Bible. Denomination just means to give something a new name. And the names they were given were Christian ministers, ministers of God. Paul we've spoken about. Apollos went to Corinth after Paul and preached about Jesus. Um, and Cephas, or Peter, um, we assume was the apostle. Whether he went to Corinth or they went to him, we don't know. But Paul condemns every one of them, even those that claim to be following only Christ, because they're creating a sense of hierarchy and superiority amongst each other, and Paul has none of it. He says, stop. You can't divide Christ up. You've all received the same baptism, the same gospel. It was Jesus that died for all of you and no one else. So this is how he starts his letter. In 17 verses... He mentions Jesus 15 times. And the heart of Paul's message was Christ. He needed the church to see that the answer to their problems was Christ. That the closer they could bring themselves to Jesus, the fewer problems they would have. Their love affair with problems needed to become a love affair with Christ again. And Paul was going to show them what that looked like. Would the band just come up behind me? As we read together this letter, I hope that we can start to see how that works. And the the letter, yes, it was written a long time ago to a church in a place that no longer exists. But more than that, it was written to people. People like you and me in a place that has problems and issues very similar to ours. And the message is just as powerful now as it was then. And today's been a lot of history... It's been a lot of context, I've given you a lot of information, and I'm sorry about that, but we needed to start there. So maybe the message that we can take away is that Paul puts Jesus first. The Corinthian church didn't. Who has the greatest influence on our life? Is it the world around us, or is it Jesus? I hope you enjoy studying the book together. Uh, I hope you get a lot of it in your life groups as well. We're going to follow Paul's example and we're going to close our service today uh, by singing in Christ alone.